0: Welcome to the Behavioral Health Collective podcast, a community of behavioral health professionals who are passionate about working together across disciplines to improve client outcomes by valuing collaboration, connection, humility, and evidence-based practices in a variety of behavioral health fields. The goal of the Behavioral Health Collective is to highlight stories of collaboration between practitioners, the work they're doing together, and how thoughtful and ethical collaboration between fields can lead to better client outcomes. Thanks for joining me today to dive deeper into stories of professional collaboration. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. I'm Erica Eng, the founder of the Behavioral Health Collective. So today's conversation covers a few different topics from ABA in health and fitness to business practices as a solopreneur. I think it really will be of interest to any BCBA who has or is trying to get out into their own consulting business, get that set up, whether it's health and fitness or in any other niche. Nick Green is a behavior analyst that has become a specialist in fitness, nutrition, and health-related behavior science. After founding his business, Behavior Fit, in 2015, it's grown to include one-on-one client coaching, along with a lot of education via social media, his blog, and workshops. He uses a telehealth model to work with clients to reach their health and fitness goals with measurable behavior analytic techniques. I think you'll find this interview interesting if you're curious about how ABA can be applied to fitness and health, but also for business wisdom. Nick grew his consulting business from the ground up and has a few things to share for solopreneur Printer BCBAs looking to do the same. Nick shares some insights and resources for his recommended business and marketing practices that I think would be helpful to any BCBA looking to strike out on their own. So yeah, I'm just curious about the business intelligence and the fitness intelligence and what that looks like.
1: Yeah. So what I kind of learned in industry, what I was working on is there's kind of a sub, I don't say subfield, but a main business area in data analytics called business intelligence. And mainly it's really kind of applied to like finance and operations. And I thought, Hmm, how do I apply this to the clinical space and the fitness space? And so just by way of teaching myself some of the methodologies and tools and processes, I kind of rebranded it for my own purposes to help clinicians. And really it was more of an efficiency productivity tool that I needed Hmm. for my own behavior fit clients. And so then, like you asked earlier about what platform was built for me, and it's a blank canvas. And so I make uh, my own dashboards for my clients. And so the beauty of it is, I think the easiest way to explain it is, I don't graph in Excel or using any other tools. I set up all my data in a way that all I have to do is click refresh and everything's updated for me. Wow. Cool. So it's pretty awesome. I'm a big fan of it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And so it started with the fitness side and then it turned into mm-hmm. the business side as well, because he thought, great, I can apply this in other ways. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. So for me, I mean, being kind of a solopreneur, just a consultant with a few clients, I found myself, like many people, maybe listening to this podcast, I found myself spending too much time graphing and manipulating data, moving data around and actually looking at the data, looking for insights. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, how can I make this easier? And then I'm kind of a techie guy by, you know, self-interest too. So I thought, oh, how can Mm. I make this better? And then it was just more of me being at the right place at the right time, uh, where I had a colleague of mine said, hey, have you ever heard of this tool called uh, Microsoft Power BI? That's the tool that I use. There's other ones out there. But once I got a hang of it, it's similar to Excel in a way. But once I got the hang of it, I'm like, oh, it's like, it was a major behavioral cusp, if you will. So once I learned hmm. it, I was like, oh, explosion of an- analysis and graphs and charts and ideas. So it was a game changer because I just needed to. So I require my clients to take a lot of health and fitness data. And so I only want to ask for as much data I can analyze. And so that was a tool that kind of helped me that need.
0: Hmm. Okay. I'm curious on that end with the the clients then, are they entering data right into the system then or is it a gathering information from say their iPhone in other apps that like track their steps or
1: good question. So I um so you're kind of you're peeling back like one layer of the onion hmm. here. So imagine the world we have all data everywhere in spreadsheets, apps, iPhones, shared documents, not shared documents. What I actually have is is I have everybody that I work with. We have our own shared Google Sheet. And then I connect my tool to the Google Sheet and it's set up in a way that the data is just graphed in a way that makes it easy to, to look at the, you know, and make the charts. So there's no app and that's a big barrier to getting a lot of data. Um, when it comes to connecting to like Fitbit data, Apple health hmm. data, any other like app out there is that that fundamentally is probably one of the biggest, I would say biggest problems, but if you're a behavior analyst and want to control some aspect of your data, getting to the data is really hard within the apps because they don't. It's not like open source. It's not open API. That's a nerdy term out there. Mm. Um, so you have to put the data in a place where you can share it. And we all know how to use Google Sheets and Microsoft Excel. And so that's kind of where, where I have uh, those data.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I'm sorry, maybe you said this, but I missed it. The client would put it into the Google Sheets. So you just like have one set up for the yep. client and they enter it. Okay. Got it. Yeah.
1: It'd be like date in a column, steps in a column. Exercise minutes in a column, resting heart rate in a column. So very simple. But what I learned with the tool is then, like, instead of just like clicking on the graph, like in Excel, updating manually, changing all this, I just do it differently with the technology. So,
0: okay. Interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, so it sounds like you've had a few iterations over time, or like you've kind of developed something over time. Where did this all start? Cause I think I've heard you speak before and. They started with a blog. Is that correct? Like, where did behavior tell me about the genesis of Behavior Fit?
1: The genesis of Behavior Fit takes me back to for 2022. Now, it was really in 2015, in May, May of 2015, I graduated from Florida Tech with my master's degree in organizational behavior management. So, I had some health and wellness, workplace wellness knowledge out there that really I thought was valuable and useful for people to learn about. And so as then I transitioned into my PhD program at the University of Florida, I thought, well, people are blogging and making websites. And at at the time, social media was just starting to rise. Mm -hmm. And this is 2015. So seven years ago now, I was like, oh, let's just put myself out there and just share what I have. And that's where I started. I started just blogging like once a month and I still try to do that on a monthly basis. But now I create content elsewhere. If you follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn or on my newsletter. But uh, yeah, that's where it all kind of started. And then it just kind of slowly built from there as people became more familiar with me as being an expert in the health and fitness behavior change space.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so you mentioned you do one-on-one coaching. What does your model look like for people? And I'm actually particularly curious about what it might look like different from other health and fitness people. I mean, if you just look on social media, there's like tons of health and fitness coaches out there.
1: Everybody's an expert, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got a body. I like I like to work out. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I know some things. <laughs> I'm my own model, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. So I guess I'm just wondering about how do you apply? I mean, you don't have to get into the nuts and bolts of it, but how do you, mm-hmm. as a behavior analyst, like what does that look like with your coaching in a way that's also accessible to people where they're not like, whoa, this is like weird and too technical. Like, you know, come to the gym with me and tell me how many reps to do or, you know, how do you make it
1: it's interesting when i describe to people what i do it's um i help people just focus on like what's most important to them so that screams right social validity for thinking mm-hmm. about that so i personally like to do olympic weightlifting i do crossfit sometimes i like to run i like to play golf but because those are my preferences i'm not going to put them on you right we kind of see that people say out there like oh this is the best this is the best training methodology blah 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 you mm-hmm. need to do this and it doesn't matter you just gotta suck it up and all of these things right and we know the general recommendations you know when it comes to health and fitness targets that are set out there by you know united states international organizations but at the end of the day i follow a similar process no matter what your targets are as i would any other behavior analyst so it start with some assessment right asking i work with adults with the typically developing so adults that I can have a conversation with, they got full-time jobs, right? Normal people. Um, So I just ask them, you know, through a longer, kind of more formalized assessment form. And then we coach, we we meet uh, weekly. Typically, you know, we'll meet like a half hour, 45 minutes each week, go over the targets. We will set specific, you know, observable, measurable goals. And then we start collecting data and then we start setting goals and we start delivering feedback and iterate through there. And that's kind of the basic process and rinse and repeat.
0: Cool. And do you ever find people are coming to you from elsewhere, maybe trying other things and they're like, whoa, this is different. And have you ever had yeah. issues of buyers Like, I don't want to take data or, you know, or are they pretty like stoked because you obviously have good responses from other clients and they're kind of like sold already?
1: Yeah. So I think about kind of two angles. You have somebody who is one let's just face it i'm private pay so they have expendable income they want to do something Mm -hmm. different they appreciate a scientific approach to health and wellness right so they're going to come to me that that's a part of my marketing piece i'm looking at data looking Mm -hmm. at behavior right i have the master's and phd you know phd degree under me so that that's going to probably attract a certain group of people of course which is which is fine so you get people who just need some just basic expert advice here's what we're going to do you know or we need to get to 150 minutes of the minimum recommendation of exercise per week and then we know general calorie requirements if you're interested in that and you know in general like a lower resting heart rate is good cherry picking some basic some me- measures that we might start with somebody um so they want uh some specific um guidance there and so that's pretty you know pretty standard right so somebody's ready to yeah. go but other times i've worked with you know as part of that that intake that indirect assessment piece you know interviewing my client that first week i'm learning that just through as i meet more people that people will sign up for other programs that you know require a lot of data collection are not as individualized there's oftentimes no clear shaping procedure when it comes to even like data collection right you might have uh, something like a uh, Weight Watchers program that's pretty familiar that requires you to like count points, right? Or maybe some personal trainer out there may require somebody to go from zero days of data collection to now you're counting every single Mm. um, macronutrient calorie under the sun every day, all day. Now, what we know as behavior analysts, there's levels of response effort that go into that target behavior. That target behavior is, is a precursor behavior to that success of actually Eating the food, right? So if we say, you know, I I worked with a client recently that um, he had a history of signing up with personal trainers or nutritionists. We have this very high effort. You to go from, you know, it's really what we're talking about. It's it's not sustainable, right? In the the respect that it's not uh, something that's easily maintained. That requires a amount of response effort that's easy for the the individual to contact uh, the natural contingency. So you go from, you know, looking at six months of zero days. I'm collecting any information about my diet. And now you're asking me to collect all this information, download an app, do all this. And that's going to require some many, you know, learning opportunities, many reinforcers. And so in hindsight, it's easy to say, well, no, no wonder the the behavior of calorie tracking didn't last. Right. And that's another layer of analysis that I would put on something that makes me different is like, okay, we're not just worried about, oh, well, the macronutrients, you know, the tracking didn't work. They must not want it bad enough. They don't have the willpower. Then I say, Mm -hmm. well, let's pause right there. There's something in the act of tracking calories. That's what I've been using now. But other, you know, other targets could be tracking steps and, uh, you know, data from your Apple Watch. And I'm always sensitive to the amount of effort somebody's giving me because you want to make sure that you're shaping in the right direction. So,
0: yeah. No, no, that's great. And I love that yeah, that so many aspects of like what we would apply to you know individuals like traditionally ABAs used in the autism realm or IDD, and so all these mm-hmm. same concepts can be applied to to fitness and health. It's very cool just to kind of see it applied across different settings like that. So,
1: right, you have you know really early on when I work with clients, it's a, it's almost like a, a test, like each week to say like, okay, here's what mm-hmm. we're gonna do. We have your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know we want to start tracking exercise minutes. That's important. Okay. Well, let me see. I'm going to slowly introduce some, some requirements for them to participate in the process. Like, okay, here's a spreadsheet. We're going to start with like three targets date, how much you weigh, and how many exercise minutes. And if you can show me like week to week over time by three months in, you're just like, oh, this is, you know, tracking this, that behavior again, I'm purposeful that I'm going to provide. Some social reinforcers of saying, ah, oh, thank mm-hmm. you. How, uh, tell me about how difficult was this new data piece to track this week? Was it easy? The spreadsheet's getting long now. Is it still okay to manage? I'm always checking in because the process of meeting with me and tracking data, that's another element to how successful somebody's going to be. So it's always managing all those pieces, you know, when somebody's, you know, working, going through life transitions that I need to be sensitive to, that these are all behavioral requirements that I'm putting on somebody. And I need to, to gauge again, the focus being on data, what's going to lead them to success or, or, you know, a new learning opportunity.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So many things to think about. And I, I love that how like you're doing that analytic component in every meeting with your client, but kind of working along at their pace, like it's so individualized by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, that's the individualized piece that, you know, sometimes you might hear friends or colleagues talk about like, oh, I just got a cookie cutter, you know, workout yeah. program. I got a cookie cutter nutrition program, and I pay ten bucks for this, and well, that's what you're gonna get. You're just gonna get something basic that somebody just, you know, shared as a downloadable somewhere, which is fine. It all has its purpose, but there's layers of like how much support and individualized attention that, you know, somebody could want in their their health and fitness
0: journey. Yeah. Interesting. Um I'm curious. So you spoke a bit about how you got into it. If BCBAs are listening to this are interested in getting into this area, how would you recommend starting? Like I see that you've got your behavior fit academy. Um yeah. can tell me a bit about that and are there supervisory opportunities within that or you know, what is it? How does it work?
1: Yeah. So uh, just with the academy, that's just my online um, CE platform. So really kind of out of necessity with just many people asking, just based on my experience and Um, Just those general tips I've given a talk before at different conferences. So I decided, why not record it so everybody can have access to it? So I have a course called Getting Started in Health Fitness and um, Applied Behavior Analysis. So you can check that out on the website. And there I just kind of cover like, you know, the ethics and the basics of competency and scope of practice. And really it comes down to, right, you kind of see the whole reason why I put myself out there in my marketing and my social media is just to give somebody an example of like, here's one way to do health and fitness. I'm not saying I am the only way and you should do it like me. But if anything, we just need more exemplars, you know, in the space to show mm-hmm. like, here's a, here's a good way to go about it. but in the course and I and I can this is the this is the preview here, you just think about like, how do you want to work with people, clients, kids, whatever it is, like, who do you want to work with? And how do you see yourself? Um, working with those individuals? And what problems you want to help them help them solve? If you want to be a personal trainer, Great. That means that you want to go like work out with somebody and design workouts for them and help them right lift and do whatever. And then you have to figure out how to apply the science in that context and set. For me, just out of uh out of the demand that I was, I guess, creating when I was in my PhD program, folks wanted to work with me. So the easiest sustainable model for me at the time was through a telehealth model, just like we're speaking right now, um, over video and I wanted to help people solve their kind of health and fitness problems in that way. And so for me, that looked like, okay, you want to get from A to B, I'm going to help you on that journey. And then there's a lot of behaviors we can shape, you know, along the way. And you just kind of start from there. So for anybody listening that's interested in health and fitness, you got to think about, okay, what's that end goal look like? And then you kind of start working backwards and then you think, okay, I want to help. I want to be in a doctor's office providing nutrition recommendations and chart their macronutrients and whatever other target. Okay. If you're in that environment, how do you need to work backwards? Maybe Mm -hmm. you have a bachelor's or master's also in nutrition and uh, that would be an easy flip for you. Or maybe there's an online certification that would help you kind of gain some background knowledge. It would help you get to a to an internship or some type of job shadowing opportunity in a facility, uh, you know, in your community.
0: I think that's great advice because I know that I'm certainly sometimes more focused on the very next step versus the working background. So that's really good advice for sure. Now, I guess alongside this is kind of, I I wanted to know more about the business side of things because you've got your business intelligence and fitness intelligence, which we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of starting your business, and this would really apply to any BCBA branching outside, well, even within autism and IDD, but in terms of starting your business as a solopreneur, um, mm-hmm. in hindsight, do you have anything you would have done differently or things that you are glad you did? I
1: don't think I would have changed anything. I did a little research early on that maybe, depending on what somebody's niche or area is going to be, I spent, I'd say, a couple of months thinking about what name to call behavior fits as a crossfitter things always end in fit or crossfit (laughs) um so I wanted to be sensitive about that and think about the market at the time and now in in the ABA behavioral healthcare space there's a lot of behavior analysis ABA language companies so a name isn't everything but I think it's somewhat important so just you know do your due diligence about what what a name could be, you know, if it Mm -hmm. it comes to, you know, this podcast is about collaborating and reaching people outside the field or, you know, speaking with other BCBAs, you know, when you're looking at how do you disseminate or things like that, you know, knowing what the industry is that you're getting into, you know, you want to do your, your due diligence and work on your, you know, conduct your market research, think about names and everything. Cause that, that could, you know, either attract a certain clientele or could repel, you know, a group too.
0: So really thinking about the name and taking the time. Like, that's interesting to me that you spent a few months really thinking about that. So that illustrates, I guess, just like the care and thoughtfulness you put into that. So Cool. Um, One other question kind of related to that would be organization in terms of, you know, starting a business, you're doing the client Mm -hmm. work, but then there's the business side of it. So you mentioned, I guess, business intelligence kind of came out of your own need. To stay organized yeah. so in the early days before you were using the Microsoft platform and had it more official, do you have any advice on how to stay organized as a business owner?
1: uh yeah, I'm looking over my my whiteboard here um taking lots of notes, drawing lots of pictures right, putting dates on the wall. I think really it's about you know being you know laser focused on like who that avatar that customer is that you want to serve and trying to be let yourself not be distracted by what other people are doing because I think it's it's even easier nowadays to especially if you're scrolling through social media you know whether it's LinkedIn or Googling you can get sometimes worn down by seeing what other people are doing so that kind of early on for me I had to learn to protect like my vision in a way of like okay well this person over here is going to be a nutrition person which is fine I'm not going to be doing that specifically but Maybe I can learn something from their approach, but I can't get caught up in like the weeds of like the actual content and, you know, followers and likes and things like that.
0: That is great advice because you're right today. Information and social media presence and, you know, just information in general is like ubiquitous. It's everywhere and yeah, hard to avoid, I suppose that. So that's a great message actually to just stay focused on what your, Mm -hmm. your plan is. Yeah. Um, And a whiteboard, you said. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, and a
1: whiteboard. (laughs) Anyway, I guess a a whiteboard, I'm maybe more old school. I like to write things down Mm on a piece of paper. But I mean, this isn't going to, I mean, it's not too behavioral, but I mean, just like whatever works for you and stick, you know, be consistent and don't be distracted by others.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. And the reason I wanted to ask that is because I think a lot of behavior analysts are knowledgeable in in their area that they're practicing. And, you know, mm-hmm. good at working with the client, but then there's that whole business side of things that is just, some people do have experience maybe, or have people in their lives that can help yeah. coach them in that, but many of us do not. And so that was just yeah. wonderful about, because it sounds like you've been.
1: Generally, you can think about most people who come through any traditional ABA route, you work in the industry and a lot, a lot of the parts of the business are already taken care right. of for you. So like. There's a job already there. There's a client list that's growing. You don't have to go out and recruit and find people to ask them for money. Mm -hmm. And there's no sales and marketing presentations that you have to do formally, like your rent or mortgage isn't on the line. I mean, you're in a way you're always selling yourself. You're always marketing yourself, you know, Hey, I want this job. I just graduated from university of Florida. I got this experience. I had a supervisor here. I, you know, was the president of the glee club, like right. All those things. Um, like you're selling yourself in that respect when it comes to actually entering the ABA autism special education school education market like you're just showing up and you have a very good skill set which is fine but if you want to make a pivot and turn a hard left turn um, you're gonna have to be familiar comfortable uncomfortable with all the other business processes from sales marketing creating relationships following leads all those bits that go into building a business.
0: And I didn't um, plan to ask you about this, but do you have any good resources? Like, were there anything like books or other podcasts, like business-related things that you followed that were really helpful for you? Oh, sure. And applicable to your situation?
1: Let me turn behind me and let me look at my bookshelf. (laughs) This is a good one. I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. He's a marketer. He wrote a book called This Is Marketing recently. He has a daily blog that he puts out there and um, he makes like marketing very simple and easy to understand. It's more of like, he calls it permission marketing. Have you heard that term? I have not. So permission marketing is um, people are signing up because signing up and rolling with you because you're providing value. They Mm. trust you. Right. So for some reason I've done good marketing that you found me to interview me. So there's something about me that you like to to bring Mm -hmm. me on the podcast and then so like think about when you sign up for a newsletter somewhere like you're giving that person permission to contact you.
0: Right. As yeah. opposed
1: to spam and direct mail. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, we're all annoyed by like, oh, we get text messages all the time from saying, like, hey, i I'm in the area. I want to buy your house. Like, oh, I didn't give you permission to do that. But when you actually have trust and value and um, most of my content out there is like free and valuable to people, it's like, well, maybe not everybody will this some of these messages are in the book, of course, like not everybody's going to sign up for my services. Most people don't, so you have to be comfortable with that. You just have to. Seth Godin's term is to like make a ruckus in your space, and hmm. you know he's an advocate for like you have a lot of knowledge, you need to share it with people, and the more you do that, the better the world becomes. And his his catchphrase is, you know, people like us do things like this. So people like us that love behavior analysis and health and fitness do things like this, and that's. Right. Share value, you know, create different, you know, messages, show people how that's kind of like one of my objectives with sharing so much is like, you know, you never know what post somewhere that somebody could like and see that it could, you know, motivate somebody to change your health and fitness lifestyle. You know, I may never meet that person, but if they do put more good in the world, then, you know, that's why you continue to do it.
0: Okay. Great. Mission marketing. So there's
1: one book, Seth Godin. He's the man. I and it's so called
0: This him. is Marketing.
1: Yep. This is Marketing. Okay. Seth Godin. Great. That's one. Then of course the the other, you know, books. Malcolm Gladwell has great books. Yeah. Adam Grant originals. There's uh some of the other kind of writing content creation books. The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield is a good one I've gotten into lately about just the creative process and sitting down and doing the work, right? Doing the analysis, creating the material, creating the dashboards, creating the tools. Right. It's all it's fun to celebrate, like the rewards and things like that. But if you actually don't do the work, then there's nothing to celebrate, I guess, in a weird way.
0: And that was called the...
1: The War of Art. The
0: War of Art. Okay. Okay, that's really helpful. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. wanted to ask about that because I don't think it comes naturally to everybody to, to think about those other pieces if you're striking yeah. it on your own. So that was helpful. I also wanted to ask about collaboration. So I know that you, you know, you're a, a one-man show right now. Have you had experiences in working with, say, someone's physician or a physiotherapist or maybe you call them physical therapists, I think, in the States, but um, other other folks with your client where you were kind of able to work together to create a plan that made sense, like maybe with someone with an injury, for example? Um,
1: Yeah, not uh, not directly, but as a part of my constant, like indirect assessment process, Mm -hmm. um, I can think of like two kind of stories to share where I had one client who she had a, a strong history of migraines. Mm. Um, and we tried to do our best to figure out um, if there were any kind of environmental stressors or indicators that um, would produce fewer migraines. And so she just threw a long history. Like, I think she'd never had a clear diagnosis of why she had migraines a carangula, which is unfortunate. And so what I did was I provided, we had her track like the number of migraines per week and we charted them and I used that as a, created a dashboard and a tool uh, with my fitness intelligence platform and um, just provided that as a resource that she could take to her doctor. And then of course mm. we would, you know, discuss in our, you know, weekly and biweekly meetings like what the doctor thought, how the migrants are going. I think we were, we were trying to assess if the heat got, if, if the temperature got above like 80, then the migraine frequency would increase. So it was kind of an indirect, you know, collaboration between what the doctor was saying and, you know, what the what the client reported back to me. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was one example. And then similarly there is a a current client of mine. She's recovering from knee surgery right as we started. So then she would report to me like she was when she was continuing physical therapy, what the PT recommended when she was cleared to do you know, body weight movements, squats, full range of motion, things like that. So I was pretty much, you know, waiting for the green light from her medical professionals before I recommended, you know, however her program shaped up to be like doing, you know, air squats or back squats or whatever we worked on. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. Those are great examples. And awesome that you could support the client. I mean, in that first example, yeah, with the doctor as well. Like, I'm sure that was really helpful to the doctor that you actually had hard data versus her just coming like i feel like it might be the temperature you could actually demonstrate that mm-hmm.
1: yeah it just, it just occurred to me to a third client too she was she had osteopenia that's right sarcopenia mm. muscle loss osteopenia so early bone loss so she had bone scans done of her of her bone density so we never got to it, but the plan was to she had you know low bone density so like bones You can think about it like that. They we went through a strength and conditioning routine. She was doing very good, but then things changed. She couldn't outside of my control, she couldn't continue with services. But had we continued, we would have said, here are the behavioral data. And then hopefully our bone density would have increased because that's important as you age. So it was kind of a, again, another example of a indirect collaboration to say like, Hey, I wonder what, a, what, what those professionals would think about, um, you know, these types of graphs and, and analyses.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess you spoke a bit about collaborating with your clients directly. Yeah, just working with them to really make a plan that, that works. Yeah. And I think that's a great example as well for those of us that do work with people with intellectual disabilities as well, that just we should be taking all these things into account. Like I love that you mentioned at the beginning preferences of physical activity. Like if someone doesn't like CrossFit, then you're not going to be suggesting CrossFit to them. So right. um, I think that's a really great example.
1: Yeah, I guess the elephant in the room is the entire process of me and my style is collaborating with the client the whole the whole yeah, time,
0: for sure, um, and deciding
1: yeah. what is most important for them to mm-hmm. target. And of course, you know, I will, uh, as far as you know, one of my strong suits as a consultant, I'll uh, you know I'll be mindful, so to speak, of uh, when to ask and hit on certain kind of behavioral elements of like, hey, you know, we uh, you know, we know weight loss is important. And it, we need to at least track it every other week. Is there something going on? Are you, you know, is there something, you know, maybe emotionally going on that you're not tracking? Did the scale break? Did the batteries run out? Like, or we need to get these data and it's important for long term outcomes. So what is it about maybe this target that, you know, that behavior isn't occurring of tracking the data? So, you know, can you explain to me what, how can we work together to move forward with this? Is it no longer a goal? Or is it no longer important? Mm. And sometimes I land on that often with uh, clients. We'll, we'll work on a set of like seven to eight different things over the first eight months and what we thought was important two months ago. Now we're, you know, shifted and pivoted. Now we're working on something else and just getting back to the questioning that collaboration piece again is okay. Well, we talked about steps. We had something going on. We didn't get back to it. Maybe that was a failure on my myself as a coach following through on that. Do we need to go back to that? Is that important? And You know, the the whole process is is a collaboration.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's I like that. Do you ever find through that process, you may have an idea for the individual and you might have different ideas as to why something is not happening? Like you might think, I don't think they value this anymore as a goal, but they're saying like, oh, no, I, you know, some other reason, like if you ever come to that issue, or I guess just if you have different perspectives on why something is not happening like if they have a certain goal that they say is important to them and
1: sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk about you know uh, maybe overtly about mm-hmm. you know so tracking my water consumption and my weight is important but maybe I'm kind of skirting around the issue and you know I might make note of that like oh they're not talking about it as often as they did before so you know maybe I will not this session bring it up but overall, it's easy to kind of slip into as a behavior analyst, I'll, I'll tend to, I don't slip into it, but well, I might sometimes I'm not perfect, but other folks may slip into like mentalisms of explanations for their behavior. And so I just mm. try to pause that idea whenever they pop up and then I will say, well, can you explain that to me? Can you unpack what's happening? You're Like, mm. well, you know, somebody say, I'm just not feeling it. You know, I just wouldn't feel in the gym this week. I say, okay, well. Did anything new or different happened. Oh, my schedule changed. Okay, what happened there? Oh, the the gas prices were high and I ran out, you know, I had to ration my gas this week or something. I'm just kind of making this up, but mm-hmm. um, I don't focus so much on like, you know, people have legitimate reasons, of course, but I just try to break down how I can best help that person solve whatever environmental barrier it is.
0: Cool. That's great. So lots of positive collaborating with grit. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask about was the education piece. So you've got, you know, the coaching going on. Um, mm-hmm. You've got your social media platforms, your blog, and then also some workshops, too, on your website. Is that correct? That are for, like client-facing yep. versus like for a BCB to learn about how to do, you know, this, this is different, correct?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there'll be, yeah, different ways for, you know, myself to work with folks that are interested, you know, we can, you know, workshop different, you know, strategies and tactics for, you know, improving health and fitness behavior change, you know, have the kind of standalone, uh, right? CE is kind of, you know, on demand, what we're all used to, but then I've, you know, presented in organizations before for like a, you know, a, a lunch and learn, you know, mm. type atmosphere, mm-hmm. annual retreat, those types of events, right? So just for folks to get uh, a little hands-on one-to-one experience of like oh how does this actually you know what does this look like in in real life so
0: hmm. and do you have some of that content on your site as well
1: um just as you know there's different uh, like a menu if you will of just different topics of, of yeah. workshops that are provided either you know again at a company or at a conference just different topics there
0: okay yeah. okay where you would go and be a speaker okay so you've just got a mm-hmm. list of things yeah. you have covered and people can hire you to do that okay very cool wow that's great well, Nick, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat. It's so interesting to just hear. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. More about your work and how you're applying it to, uh, to health and fitness.
1: Oh yeah, thank you for uh,
0: thanks for having me on. The comments and views expressed in this podcast do not constitute or replace contractual behavior analytic consultation or professional advice. Views expressed are solely the perspective of the speaker and do not represent the views or position of their colleagues, employer, or other associates please seek at a behavior analyst through the BACB website if you would like to receive further behavior consultation. Until next time, take care.